Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I think something else wrong. Time for 911. Where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. The pretty one look. Watch him and move. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, I wear a male car with his hands to a coffee table and this thing's a pull out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who, 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 whose life would be... I harm someone each time I... Kill someone to be an enormous amount, of, uh, especially at first, uh, enormous amount of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. You could say the crap apple doesn't fall too far from the crap tree. In the case of Matthew Malat, this couldn't be more true. Nephew of backpacker murderer Ivan Malat, Matthew's crimes were also brutal and disgusting. On November 20th, 2010, Matthew lured David Octoloni to the Belangolo State Forest on his 17th birthday with the promise of beers and weed. There, with the help of friend Cohen Klein, they tortured, tormented and murdered David with a double-sided battle axe in the same forest where his uncle murdered seven backpackers nearly 20 years earlier. We're recording this episode on the 10th anniversary of the evening when Matthew murdered David Octoloni. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser-known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. As a comedy true crime podcast, we sometimes use humour to lighten up horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their loved ones. If you think comedy has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you. Today's episode is particularly brutal, so yeah, there's really not a lot of scope for humour in it. We should also warn you that the quotes we use in this episode are chock-a-block full of C-bombs. Yeah, seriously, the swearing on display here makes Barney and I look like sweet, innocent little kittens. And fluffy rainbow-coloured ones at that. (laughs) Yes, that's the truth. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had quite a few new ones join our fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. 
As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our polarising and face-eating first season, Mm -hmm. and ad-free versions of all our regular episodes. As a patron, you'll also have access to exclusive patron-only episodes where we essentially do what we do in these wide-release episodes, but with more dance battles and big dick energy. Oh, yeah. Right. Hey! Hey, baby! Oh, you're going in. Levels above $5 receive stickers and handmade Barney badges. And levels $10 and above get a selection of bloody legendary merchandise. Oh, it's pretty good. Mighty sweet. We're recording together in person again today, and the beers are chilling in the fridge for afterwards, because you know what? We've got a feeling we're going to need them. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. Matthew Malat was born Matthew Stephen Muleman in December 1992 and grew up in the Mossvale and Bargo area of New South Wales. His mother was a daughter of backpacker serial killer Ivan Malat's brother, which made Ivan Matthew's great uncle. If you are not familiar with Ivan, here's a brief resume of his vile acts. In the 1990s, the bodies of seven young backpackers were discovered in a demented fairy tale like eerie as hell Belangelo State Forest a 9,400-acre wood in New South Wales, Australia. The bodies, each riddled with stab wounds, had been posed face down with loose hut-like structures of sticks constructed over them. Some of his victims had also been shot and sexually assaulted. Actually, it was a lot worse stuff too. Oh, there was a lot worse stuff too. Beheadings. Mm. Target practice. Yeah. Just cruel and inhumane. The killings, which became known as the Backpacker Murders, were the work of Ivan Milat, a poor excuse for a man. He had a prior history of abduction and rape. He was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences plus 18 years. Is evil in the blood or is it nurtured? Matthew started out with a fractured beginning. When he was only a year old, his father separated from his mother. Not long after, she married another man named Scott Muleman. They went on to have three children, whom Matthew considered his siblings. But according to Matthew, he never viewed his mother's husband as a father figure. Their relationship was described in later court documents as turbulent, with reports of excessive punishments and physical abuse. Which was probably why Matthew's academic performance at school was less than stellar. Matthew told a school counsellor that he argued with his stepfather and that he couldn't take it anymore. In high school, Matthew's studies gave way to drinking and smoking weed. Although he was involved in sports and other social activities and made some friends, most say it was only on a superficial level. At about the age of 14, Matthew Muleman changed his name to Matthew Malat. Was this a fuck you to his biological father Peter Murphy or his stepfather Scott Muleman? Or was it a homage to his mother's maiden name? Most say, yeah, nah. He was more than a bit proud of his infamous great-uncle Ivan, constantly bragging about his link to the backpacker serial killer. Although there's no evidence that they ever met. With Ivan Malat beginning prison time for the murder of five European and two Australian backpackers when Matthew was just a toddler. It was at Picton High School where Matthew befriended David Octoloni, who was nicknamed Octo. Together with Cohen Klein and Chase Day, their gang of rambunctious lads spent their time smoking weed rather than studying. According to an article in the Sydney Morning Herald, How a Reclusive Kid Became a Killer by Paul Bibby, Matthew Malat was never considered one of the cool kids, and most of his classmates barely remember even going to school with him. One of his former classmates, Sam McMahon, said, 
He was just the kid who sat around the back of the school with the ADHD kids. You know, the ones who threw chairs around the class. When school finished, the gang of four boys, led by Matthew Mallatt, hung out on the seats near the Bargo Bakery on Remembrance Drive, talking about girls and telling dirty jokes until it got dark. On the warmer weekends, the boys would spend time at a local waterhole known as Mermaids. It all seemed innocent enough, Tara. But as the years went by, other friends noticed Matthew's personality darken. One friend told the Sydney Morning Herald, As he started to get older, he started to get weird. He just went really quiet. He would sort of sit there, not talking to anyone, and playing with this flick knife that he carried everywhere. I didn't really talk to him that often as we got older, but David Octoloni did. Despite his weirdness, Matthew Malat was not known for being violent, though there was one incident that a Bargo local remembers. He pulled a knife on David once because he wouldn't give him a cigarette. Give me a cigar. Nah. I'll cut ya. Okay, fine. Have one then. This was around the time that Matthew started bragging more about his great uncle Ivan, who most people didn't see as being that great. Matthew's friends thought it was just for attention to make himself out to be hard. Newly named Matthew Malat talked of going out to his namesake's old hunting grounds at Belangelo State Forest and smoking marijuana. Matthew's mother, Deb Muleman, daughter of Ivan Malat's brother Bill, like much of the Malat family, had distanced herself from the notoriety of evil Ivan. Some of the Malat clan even changed their infamous surname. Matthew Malat, David Octoloni, Cohen Klein and Chase Day dropped out of high school before finishing year 10. With no job prospects, they resumed hanging out near the Bargo Bakery, talking shit all day while receiving unemployment benefits. 16-year-old Matthew eventually got a job at a large company in the Newcastle area, but his newly found employment did not last long. After being fired, he returned to live in Bargo, moving in with his grandparents. During his time in Newcastle, Matthew had hooked up with a young woman named Kirsty, who he had knocked up. Shortly after the birth of their daughter, they split. He did not stay single for long and started dating a local girl named Rachel. A month later, on November 20th, 2010, Matthew Malat murdered his friend of four years, David Octoloni. At the time of the murder, Matthew was 17, just one month short of turning 18 years old. His mate Cohen Klein had turned 18 just two months earlier. The day had begun much like most of Matthew Malat's days, smoking bongs and talking shit with Cohen Klein. It was during this shit talk that Matthew suggested to Klein that they go to Belangelo State Forest that night and kill someone. David Octoloni's nickname, Octo, was mentioned. That morning, Matthew said to his new girlfriend, Rachel, Me, Cohen and someone else are going to kill Octo. She said, Don't be stupid. Stop joking. No, you're not. Cohen Klein was standing next to Matthew at the time and the two of them laughed. Rachel asked, Who's the other person? Matthew told her that the other person was Chase Day. She thought that they were full of shit. Later that afternoon, Rachel was sitting in Matthew's car with Matthew and Klein. She said that they were talking about what they would be doing that night. Matthew rubbed his hands together and sounded excited. He said, we're going out to Belangelo. Someone's going to die. She asked, who's going to Belangelo? Matthew and Klein started naming various people and Matthew ultimately said, Chase will come. She asked, who are you going to kill? Matthew replied, Octo. It just so happened that November 20th, 2010 was David Octoloni's 17th birthday. 
David spent much of the day celebrating his birthday, visiting friends and family. He was described by family members as just a happy-go-lucky kid. He loved skateboarding and playing his PlayStation and was a friend to all, one who always saw the best in people. During the day, there were several telephone calls and messages between David, Matthew and Cohen Klein. That evening, David was at his friend Chase Day's house. The telephone calls and messages continued. In one of these calls, Matthew convinced David to go with them to the Belangelo State Forest, saying, let's go out to Belangelo to have a few drinks and a bit of fun. That afternoon, Matthew Malat went to his friend's house, who we're going to call Kevin, and borrowed his double-sided battle axe and put it in the trunk of his car. I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Oh, Kev, can I lend that sweet battle axe of yours? Sure, Maddie. What are you going to do with it? Oh, chop stuff. Later that evening, around 9pm, Matthew and Klein picked up David and Chase Day in Matthew's car. The four of them drove to the Shell service station at Sutton Forest. Matthew and David went into the service station, apparently for the purpose of finding scissors to cut up some marijuana which David had scored. Afterwards, David, Klein and Chase went into the McDonald's at Sutton Forest and bought some tasty burgers. Matthew Malat remained in the car. I guess he wasn't hungry. Not for food, anyway. It was immediately after this that Matthew drove the guys into the Belangelo State Forest. Cohen Klein was in the front passenger seat and the other two were in the back seat. When they were at a short distance into the forest, Matthew parked the car at a Y-shaped road junction. The moonless night was pitch black, the only light being from the car's headlights. We'll be back with the conclusion of Malat family legacy, the murder of David Octoloni, right after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Barney, or Mr. Two Cakes if you're nasty, what time is it? It's true crime nerd time. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true or fiction crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your crime-obsessed itch. Are you itchy, Tara? Only when people give me compliments. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it and we'll read it out. And we have one here from our most prolific new contributor, Keely Johnson. Hooray! And she wrote to us about the true crime documentary, Ted Bundy Falling for a Killer, which is showing on Amazon Prime. And she writes, I just got done watching a documentary about the basic bitch pumpkin spice of serial killers, Ted Bundy. Brilliant description. Ted Bundy Falling for a Killer is not set up as a typical crime documentary. Instead of just focusing on the killer and the crimes, it focuses on the lives of the women involved before, during and after the crimes. 
This includes predominantly his former girlfriend Elizabeth and her daughter Molly. The show is largely from their perspective and reveals the amount of guilt they felt after they learned of all he was responsible for. It also brings to the light the ridiculous amount of times detectives wrote off Elizabeth's fears that he was indeed the Ted that they were looking for. Yeah, crazy, huh? Other documentaries on Ted make it seem like they jumped into action the second she called them, when in reality they mostly just blew her off, allowing many more women to become victims of this sick bastard. The documentary starts off by highlighting the fight for women's rights that was ongoing at the time and heavily present on the University of Washington campus. One thing that blew my mind is that women were being given the advice not to fight back if they were attacked and to just take it as to not piss off their assailant. Yes, you heard that right. The thought at the time was to just sit back and let it happen if you were attacked and raped. In many ways, this documentary was an eye-opener. You heard how his crimes really affected those around him, and not just the victims and their families. From his own brother to one of his post-conviction lawyers, he was a massive black cloud over the heads of so many people. The most touching moment that brightened things up a bit was the strength in these women that was very strongly demonstrated when you heard a recording of a call between Ted Bundy's mother and the mother of one of his victims and their shared pain and forgiveness. All in all, this is a very worthy watch. It is five episodes at an hour each, so an easy binge watch and a great way to see this story from a deeper and different perspective than some of the others that have been released throughout the years. Keep kicking against the pricks, Keely Johnston from Texas. Thanks, Keely. That documentary is Ted Bundy, Falling for a Killer, showing on Amazon Prime, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. Oh, hey there. You like true crime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Who doesn't? But I gotta admit, after a while, all those stories of murder and heartache... Well, they tend to go straight to my hips. So that's why I, Leroy Luna, have created a podcast called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, where we'll take a hardcore look at some softcore crimes. No TED Talks on Bundy here. The letters BTK won't be coming from these lips. Unless he had a brother that used to steal library books. Suppose I'd be willing to go balls deep into that one if that were the case. Anyways, you'll hear stories such as The Mad Pooper, a female jogger who wreaked havoc in a Colorado Springs neighborhood using one family's front yard as her own personal dumping grounds. If this kind of content sounds like it's up your alley, excuse me, that's illegal. It's available right now on all your favorite podcatchers. So come join me. I'll be right here waiting for you. Things have been incredibly rough for pretty much everyone this year. And we're dealing with issues we couldn't have dreamed of. There's everything going on in the world at the moment, and the way this year has been panning out, having a negative impact on your mental health. Are these unprecedented circumstances stopping you from achieving your goals? Have you had about as much as you can take and you're just not quite sure what to do about it? Or perhaps all of this is just making other stuff you have to deal with even harder. Barney and I are both big believers in therapy, and there's no better time than now to take care of your mental health. BetterHelp is there for you no matter where you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. 
and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's professional counselling that produces real results, not self-help. You can communicate with your counsellor any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. All without having to leave the comfort of your house. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and financial aid is available. And it's a service you can access worldwide. You could be communicating with licensed professional counsellors who have a broad range of expertise and specialise in areas such as stress, sleeping problems, family conflicts and trauma. And of course, anything you share is confidential. It's convenient professional and very affordable. If you want to start living a happier life today, connect with BetterHelp. And as a Bloody Murder listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counsellors in all 50 states of the USA. Get matched with a counsellor that suits you by simply filling out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs. If you don't believe us, check out the dozens of positive testimonials on their website. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. That's betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. And now for the conclusion of Malat Family Legacy, the murder of David Octoloni. Parked at the Y-shaped road junction in the Belengalo State Forest, Matthew Malak got out and went to the back of the car beside the boot. David got into the front seat and started to cut up some cannabis. Chase Day was sitting in the back seat of the car. Colin Klein then got out of the car and joined Matthew near the boot. Music was playing from David's phone inside the car. The following is from a precise record of what was said by the boys during the 14 minutes leading up to the death of David Octoloni. The initial part of the audio records some general discussion about David's skill at rolling a joint, or lack thereof, while sitting in the front seat. Outside, at the rear of the car, Klein is recorded as saying quietly, Yeah, do it. Matthew Millat then said, Can you feel the adrenaline? Klein replied, Yeah. Matthew opened the trunk and took out the large double-sided axe and then put it down in the long grass, hiding it from view. Klein got back in the car and after telling David his joint rolling skills were less than adequate, told him there might be a bong in the boot of the car and suggested he go back there and take a gander. David got out of the car and went towards the trunk. Before David could open the boot, Matthew took the double-bladed axe and struck David in the torso. By this time, Chase Day was also out of the car. Klein is recorded as telling him on more than one occasion to get back in the car. Chase Day did so, followed by Klein. At around the time that Klein got back into the car with Day, the music stopped. Klein's mobile phone continued to record every word of what transpired between Matthew and David outside the car. Cohen Klein was holding the phone with his arm extended out the car window during the whole of this time. Wounded and in severe pain, David was running around the car, desperately trying to escape from Matthew while attempting to placate him. After some time, Matthew ordered that David lie on the ground and then stood over him, threatening him in what a later Crown prosecutor would rightly describe as a most cruel, callous and brutal manner. Matthew Malat then accused David of spreading stories about him and sticking his nose into his business. Finally, Matthew swung the axe and struck David in the back of his head. The sound of the axe hitting David was caught in the recording. David died instantly. 
Immediately afterwards, the recording was stopped. Here is an excerpt of the audio transcript, and I warn listeners, it's not for the faint-hearted. Malat, look at the dirt, don't look at me, look at the dirt, don't look at me. Octoloni, crying. Malat, look at the fucking dirt, Octo, I'm going to fucking kill you if you keep fucking moving. Look at the ground and answer my questions. Octoloni, crying. Malat, you keep looking at me and I'll cut your head off. Look at the ground, cunt. Tell me, is it true you have been going around telling people my affairs? Octoloni, no. No, it is not true, Matt. Malat, don't look at me, all right? Octoloni, I am not, man. Malat, look at the dirt. Octoloni, I am. It is not true. Malat, put your arms up around your head. Octoloni, it is not true, Matt. Malat, shut up, cunt. Put your hands down next to your face. Pull them up to your face. You going to keep meddling with me? Octoloni, no, I won't. I swear to God, man. Malat, how am I going to know that? Octoloni, you have my word. Malat, how good is your word to me, but? Octoloni, mate, we have been mates for ages. My word is good. Malat, yeah, we have been mates for ages. And how many times have I been told that you are dogging me behind my fucking back, cunt? Right? You got me? Octoloni, yes. Malat, look at the ground. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Octoloni, yes, man, I understand, dude. Malat, do you really, but? Octoloni, yes, man. Malat, yeah, I don't believe you, cunt. Octoloni, I am serious, man. I swear to God to you, dude. I never said nothing about you. Malat, I really do not fucking believe you right now, all right? Octoloni, man, I give you my word. I would not. Malat, yeah, you give me your word, and your word isn't fucking good enough, Octo. I've had your word before and it ain't worth a pinch of cold fucking shit. Back in the car, while David was crying out in agony, Chase Day wanted no part of this shit show and shouted out to Matthew, Don't do this shit, man. What the fuck are you doing, Matt? He asked Klein, Is he really going to kill him? To which Klein replied, I think so. Inside the car, Chase Day is recorded as saying, Stop this cunt, Cohen. At which point Klein called out to Matthew, just fucking do it. A little later, Chase Day said to Klein inside the car, don't let him do it, that's Octo. Klein replied with, just be quiet, stay the fuck out of it and stay in the car. Matthew Malat returned towards the car carrying the axe. A little later, Chase Day got out of the car and went to where David was lying. He dragged him into an area away from the road where he and Matthew covered David's body with branches from surrounding trees. The teenage boys then got back into the car and the three of them drove back to Bargo. During the journey home, Matthew said, that was such an adrenaline rush. Klein, who was sitting next to him, said, I told you that you're going to go down the same path as your uncle. Matthew also told Chase Day during this trip that the handle of the axe had been wrapped in electrical tape so that they could rip it off and remove their fingerprints. After dropping Chase Day back at his house, Cohen Klein got out to talk to him. Klein asked his friend, Chase, will you still talk to me? Chase waited a few seconds and then replied in a quiet voice, I will talk to you. Klein then said, don't say nothing. Chase replied, no, I won't. Klein narrowed his eyes and said to Chase Day, All right, I made sure. Take my hand. I made sure that you are fucking all right. I fucking made sure of it. He was talking about, he didn't want to murder too. That's why I told him that I would keep you in the car and try to talk to you, all right? See how much I'm squeezing your hand? 
Yeah, I do, Chase replied. That's how much I'm fucking shaken, mate. That's how much I mean it, cunt. At about 11.30 that night, Matthew and Klein went to the home of some friends whom we shall call Kevin and Sally. The Kevin who gave him the axe? Yeah. Well, he's not getting that back, is he? <laughs> no, he isn't. Arrangements were made for Cohen Klein to sleep in Sally's car overnight. Matthew drove off and shortly afterwards picked up another teenager named Damien. The two of them went to another friend's place where they watched movies until about 2.30am. Yeah, what did they watch? Well, I'm not really sure, but let's see. It's 2010, so they either watched Shrek Forever After or Toy Story 3. No, they didn't. Rachel was there too. She asked her boyfriend, Matthew, did you do it? Matthew responded, yes, and then added, I understand if you're scared or worried, but he deserved it. The next day, Matthew Millat was feeling pretty good. He was described by friends as in good spirits and was gloating about his murderous actions of the previous evening. He was quoted as saying, You know me. You know my family. You know the last name Millat. I did what they do. The next morning, Matthew drove back to Ken's house in the company of his friend Damien. Klein, who had spent the night in the car outside Ken's place, was described as looking very stressed. His reddened eyes were wide and he held his stomach. Yeah, look, I'm guessing that sleeping in a car after helping someone murder a friend is not going to give you a very good night's sleep, is it? A little later, Damien accompanied Matthew when he drove to his grandparents' home. During the journey, Matthew said to him, Guess who I killed? Damien replied, Who? And Matthew said, Octo. Damien asked Matthew, what did you kill him with? Matthew said, I hit him in the head with an axe. Damien asked whether he was serious, to which Matthew responded, I'm serious, don't tell anyone. If Ken finds out that I told anyone, he will kill me because the axe has Ken's DNA on it. If I find out you told anyone, I will kill you. Later that morning, Matthew and Damien went to another friend's house. The friend's mother was also present. Whilst they were there, Matthew said, I took someone out to Belangolo last night. I hit him in the back of the head with an axe. I was there with two other guys. One of them didn't want to help me move the body. I said, if you don't do it, I'm going to do you too. The friend's mother described Matthew as saying, you know me, you know my family, you know the last name Malat. Matthew also referred to the axe getting stuck in David's head. He said, I had to kick the back of his head to get it loose. Ugh. The following day, Matthew Malat had his car detailed and washed. He also wrapped the double-sided battle axe in his bloody clothes, weighed it down with bricks and threw it in the mermaid's swimming hole a short drive out of Bargo. Where they all used to go swimming. Yeah, those were innocent times. Meanwhile, the whole murder thing was not sitting well with Chase Day. In fact, it was making him feel quite ill, so much so that he told his father the whole sordid story. His shocked father immediately took him down to Picton Police Station where he made a full statement. Chase Day then led detectives to the Belangolo Forest and showed them where David's body lay hidden under branches. Chase Day was placed under arrest, only to be released after detectives corroborated his version of events. According to court documents, a later post-mortem report showed that David Octoloni had died due to a single chop wound in the back of the head, which had entered the skull and underlying brain matter a few centimetres in depth. There was also a blunt injury to David's torso, which was associated with a fracture of the ninth rib and hemorrhaging of adjacent soft tissues. 
There were various abrasions to David's forehead and chin. On Monday, November 22, 2010, Matthew Malat was arrested. Accompanied by his grandfather, as he was still a minor, he declined to enter into a record of interview, only stating no comment. A few hours later, Cohen Klein was also brought in. In a recorded interview, he admitted accompanying Matthew and the others to the Belingolo Forest on that Saturday night, but said he did not know what Matthew was planning. When they arrived in the forest, he said that he remained in the car with Chase Day, trying not to look at what was happening between Matthew and David. After it was over, Matthew came back to the car and asked the two of them to get out. He nearly spewed, he said, when he saw David's body. He denied that he had previously spoken with Matthew about harming David. Detectives thought there was something fishy about his statement and Cohen Klein was arrested and charged. Whilst in custody, another recorded interview took place with him about a month after his initial arrest. On this occasion, he told police that earlier on Saturday the 20th of November, Matthew had been talking about wanting to kill David. However, Klein said he thought that Matthew was bullshitting and paid no attention to him. He was then asked where his mobile phone was during the killing of David. He said that it was in his pocket the whole time and denied making any audio recordings on his phone. But this was a trick question. You see, when the police initially took possession of Klein's phone, there was no apparent recording of the killing of David as it had been deleted. However, the police forensic team later retrieved the recording. Mm, clever. Nine months after the murder, Matthew Malat, still in remand awaiting trial, penned this shit-hot literary masterpiece. He had initially mailed this and a few other poems to his mother, whom he asked to put in a safe place, possibly in case the Golden Wreath of Struger Poetry Awards was accepting entries from Australia. But they were intercepted by juvenile justice authorities and passed on to the police. Would you like to hear one of his pathetic, brutal, chilling poems? I'm not sure I do, actually. <laughs> well, you're going to whether you like it or not. It's entitled Your Last Day. Click clack. Hear that? Stopping in the middle of the track. Are you getting nervous in the back? Should be cunt, you're getting whacked. Talk shit here, talk shit there. No one's really going to care. But talk shit with every breath. You just signed away your health. I can see you start to sweat. Wondering what you're going to get, hoping for one in the head. Can't I'll put it in your leg. Tell me, are you having fun? Get up, cunt, and start to run. How far are you going to get? Your match can't you have just met. Stumbling all over the place, hear the crunch of leaves and feet. Feel your heart skip a beat. Are you going to get away? No hope, kid. This is your day. The day that you won't be found. Six feet underneath the ground. Whoa. If that's not a confession, you're a three-foot garden gnome called Steve. <laughs> I kind of wish I was at this point. Uh, it's not only a confession, it's also a depraved celebration of the event. Ugh. Ugh. And he's not good at rhyming. Come on. <laughs> In yet another poem entitled Cold Life, Matthew finishes with the following words. I am not phased by blood or screams. Nothing I do will haunt my dreams. Maybe they might scare you. Cold-blooded killer, that's me, not you. When the trial of Matthew Millat and Cohen Klein commenced in May 2012, the prosecution had two star witnesses, Chase Day and, of course, the audio recording of the actual murder. 
Matthew Miller and Cohen Klein both pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter. The Director of Public Prosecutions, Lloyd Babb, told the court that the pair's guilty plea was based not on remorse, but on a recognition of the inevitable. Matthew Malat's defence tried to portray the murder of David Octoloni as not one of premeditation, arguing Matthew Malat was just going to assault him and leave him in the forest to teach him a lesson about the perceived dogging. But Matthew's temper had got the better of him and he accidentally killed David Octoloni. The court didn't buy any of this crap, Tara. Besides the audio recording and Chase Day's eyewitness testimony, many witnesses came forward and testified to Matthew talking about the murder before it happened and after. Nor did they buy that Cohen Klein knew nothing of Matthew Malat's plans to murder David. When the audio recording was played in court, there were audible gasps of horror. The Octoloni family were not warned of the traumatic nature of the recording before it was played. Once the distressing nature of the material became clear, Justice Jane Matthews asked if they wanted to leave, but they elected to stay in the court. That must have been completely appalling for them. Absolutely. Both Matthew Millett and Cohen Klein were found guilty of first-degree murder. In sentencing, Justice Jane Matthews had to consider many factors, including two psychiatric reports relating to Matthew Millett from a Dr First and a Dr Greenberg. Dr First commented that Matthew had a lengthy history of substance abuse, but there was no obvious signs of psychosis at the time of the murder. He considered that Matthew might well have a degree of personality dysfunction. He assessed Matthew's risk of future violent offending as moderate. Dr Greenberg mostly concurred with Dr First, but reported that Matthew Millett posed at best a substantial risk of violent reoffending, and he remains a serious potential danger to the community. Justice Matthews, in light of the evidence, sided with Dr Greenberg. Matthew Millett was sentenced to 43 years with a non-parole period of 30 years. Cohen Klein, who the court heard was strongly influenced by Matthew Millett, Cop 32 years with a non-parole period of 22 years. Later on appeal, the sentence was reduced by two years. I'm guessing they did not get a discount for pleading guilty. They certainly didn't. In handing down the sentence to Matthew Millat and Cohen Klein, Justice Jane Matthews did not mince words. Nor should she. She said that the deliberate and premeditated crime was done for personal enjoyment and that David Octoloni's final 10 minutes alive were filled with horror and unimaginable torment. She added, it clearly falls in the worst category for the case of murder and that Matthew Millett clearly has no expression of genuine remorse or regret. In a victim impact statement read to the court, David Octoloni Sr. said, they didn't just kill him, they terrorised and tormented him. He added, the love I have for him and the hatred I have for those animals who took him, they deserve no mercy. Today would have been David Octoloni's 27th birthday. This must be an impossibly difficult day for his family. Yeah. Happy birthday, David. Yeah, happy birthday, Octo. Wow, well that was just um, a, a waste of a young life and then also the lives of the people who killed him. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was particularly motiveless, this one. It was just a thrill kill. Mm. There's never any rationale to those. Matthew Millett apparently thought that David Octoloni had dobbed him in because he'd stolen money from his own mother. And he thought Octo had told his mum? Yeah. But he hadn't. 
Well, we don't know, really. And also, if he did, there's no reason to axe murder your friend. Yeah. Look, the judge nailed it. She said, mm. no, this is a thrill kill. Yeah. They didn't even allow that as a motive because it's just, it's just so stupid. It's just, it, yeah, it's, it's incredibly ridiculous. weak. It's, yeah, no. Good on the judge. Hey, Tara, I have a question for you. Yes, Barney. What is Aussie As? Aussie As are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Yes, I would. If there's one thing I've learned from doing this podcast for the past nearly four years is that Aussie men just love to thwart robberies totally stark naked. Now, we've covered several scalantily clad or not clad at all blokes chasing down thieves over the years. Yeah, there's a police coming dude in our intro who said hell no to thieves trying to break into a business wearing nothing but his tidy whities Yeah, and there was the naked guy wielding a didgeridoo who took off after burglars he caught inside his house. Oh, oh the tradie who jumped into the back of his ute wearing only his budgie smugglers as the thieving bastards drove off in it. Yeah, him too. And now we have another bloke to add to our wall of bounce and tackle, crime, fart and fame. There's a wall? It's large <laughs> and bouncing. <laughs> According to an article in the Northern Star newspaper, Ryan Dean and Lauren Boose, a couple from Lennox Head in New South Wales, were asleep in their flat at around midnight on a Friday in 2011 when a sticky-fingered man broke into their place and stole thousands of dollars' worth of their stuff. Dino got up at about 1am to get himself some water and he said, oh, It was then I saw the guy leaving with Lauren's laptop and stuff under his arm. I just had a doona around me, but I dropped that and I started chasing after him. About 150 metres up the road, I grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and pulled him down. He'd already dropped the laptop and the phone, and and when I tackled him, he dropped the camera and, fortunately enough, his own wallet. Whoa, he's paying off like a slot machine. (laughs) Yeah, he certainly was. Dino said, I gave him a few words on the ground, but I didn't want to get too violent, so I let him go and he scooted off down the street as fast as he could. Dino, still starkers, then wandered back to his place, picking up Loz's stuff along the way like he was on some kind of demented scavenger hunt. When he got back home, he noticed that a bunch of his beloved skateboards had been removed from his flat and stashed nearby, and that's when shit got personal. Dino said, Oh, it was then I realised he'd been in our house more than once and thought he's really done a number on us. So I took off after him again, still naked, but he had 200 metres on me by then, so I let it go, made my way home and called the cops. His girlfriend Loza was very impressed with Dino's birthday suit heroics. She remarked, He didn't even think about putting clothes on. He just got out there and took the guy down. Because the bumbling robber had dropped his wallet when Dino tackled him and it had his ID in it and fingerprints on it, the cops had no problem tracking him down. Ballina police confirmed that they had arrested a 22-year-old local man and charged him with breaking and entering offences. The moral of this story is don't mess with naked Aussie dudes because their lack of clothing just makes them faster runners. Oh, Dino, I love you. You you caught the bad guy. You're so strong. Oh, that's all right, love. Anything for you, Loza. Now, uh, come back upstairs, eh, baby? All right, Dino. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, baby! Hey, baby! This brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, I'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to Ali Q7 from the United States. It's either Mr. Spy 
or Mrs. Pie from I like, Australia. I like Mrs. Pie and I cannot I, lie. I'd like to go around and see Mrs. Pie and we could eat some pie. Mm, nice work uh, wiggling out of making that sexual by accident, Barney. <laughs> We'd also like to thank Brad from Newfoundland. We'd also like to thank the brilliant and lovely Lorraine for all the work she does running the Facebook group with me. And for just being a top broad. Yeah, damn straight. Chin chin, let's all have a gin for Lorraine. Now we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program in the past couple of weeks. So thank you to Courtney Kruger, Libby Spicer, Amy Dean, Lily Waterman, Sam Graham and Robin Taylor. And also a big thank you to Leah Heinrich and Nancy Lackey for upping their pledges. Thank you so much, everybody. If you would like to support us, visit our website. Oh, I just want to buy us a drink. <clears throat> it gets me every time. Mm. There's a PayPal donate button there too. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, our IMDb listing, or our Facebook page. You don't need to write a well-crafted essay, just five stars and a hey baby would still count. And of course, rate and subscribe if you want to keep hearing stories of murder. Lots and lots of murder. You can follow us through our Facebook page or join our awesome Facebook group. On Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod and Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, BloodyMurderPodcast.com for news, galleries, more episodes and links to our fabulous Fredless merchandise. Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. So, Barney, you know the area in which I live is full of aggressively bizarre characters, right? Yes. Well, I got uh, the... Well, I was fortunate enough to see a new one the other day. I was on my way out to meet a friend for a drink and I happened to walk past this parking lot, which is on the main street, and it's just, you know, flat to the ground area. And I hear this music blaring, you know, funky music. And so I get up to the parking lot and I realise that there's a guy in there wearing nothing but a pair of loose grey tracky pants, shirtless, maskless, you know, everything else-less, and he's dancing to this music pumping out of a speaker in the middle of the parking lot while holding a four-litre container of ice cream and eating it and dancing at everyone walking past aggressively. Oh, I hope he didn't get an ice cream headache. Yeah, I think he uh, might have had more problems than that. But yeah, ice cream man. Now I want to see him again, but I've only seen him the once. So that's the story of Ice Cream Man. That's amazing. It was pretty amazing. He was really getting into the beat. He was really chomping his, his big tub of ice cream and he was making eye contact with passers-by while dancing. Do you think it was Neapolitan ice cream? I know that it looked like vanilla on the spoon, but it was one of those cheap ones that are just like a white container. So it might have been Neapolitan and he was starting with the vanilla, working his way up to the chocolate and then, of course, finishing with strawberry. I thought it was called Napoleon ice cream when I was a child. Why? Because it's short and bossy. Because I couldn't say Neapolitan. Oh, but you can now. I can now. I'm pretty impressed. And I'll tell you, there's a problem with Neapolitan ice cream. Yeah, two of them aren't vanilla. Two, two of them aren't chocolate. The chocolate just gets eaten first, and then you get stuck with it, that sort of vanilla and strawberry running in together. Well, yeah, it was quite a hot afternoon when Ice Cream Man was uh, dancing his uh, ice cream headache away in the parking lot, so I reckon it was getting pretty melty. I wonder what was going through his mind. Oh, I'm a bit hot. 
Oh, I feel like a bit of ice cream in a dance. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to aggressively lock eyes with people and eat my ice cream at them while boogieing. Woo! That does sound like fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit more scandalous if a woman does topless ice cream dancing in a parking lot. But um, I'll let you know how it goes next hot day, I suppose. I was downstairs the other day and I was reading a book because, you know, I have to read a lot of books for research and stuff. Mm-hmm. I do this like murder podcast. Have you heard of it? Oh wow, that's morbid. Like, How can you focus called, on that stuff? You're weird. It's called Barney Murder, <laughs> and I do it by myself. And it's, it's awesome. I don't have to put up with any stupid co-host just annoying me all the time. You don't have a, a woman that interrupts and swears because I, I hear that I they, they are quite an asset to many a podcast these days. Well, anyway, I was doing research for my podcast Barney Murder. Yeah, and, and I could hear all this kerfuffle upstairs, rambunctious. Noisy. Noises. Well, you do have two boys. Well, that's that's it. And you know what they were doing? They, I, I shudder to think. They were having a tussle. Yeah, they were having a bit of a wrestle. They were having a bit of a tussle, as, yeah. as boys do. And then Dexter came down downstairs and he was complaining and he said, Mo hit me in my Dexticles. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, did you just call your testicles your Dexticles? And, <laughs> and he went, yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't stop laughing, but I had to stop laughing because he was quite upset because his dexticles had, had taken a hit. <laughs> did you have to put a bandage on his dexticle boo-boo? I didn't. I didn't kiss it better. No, no, no. Or no, a band-aid. Oh, wrong no, way. Go back. Go take back. A wrong go turn. Back. Go back. Uh, back, back, back. Quick, quick. Run. Don't walk. Run. His dexticles did survive. I'm glad to hear that. Did he have to ice his little dexticles? <laughs> dexticles. <laughs> Just saying De- it is Dexter's good. a good boy, but he, yeah, he does not like getting hit in the, in his Dexticles. I don't imagine anyone likes being hit in their Dexticles. <laughs> I imagine Dexter Morgan, the, the Florida serial killer from the TV show Dexticles, probably doesn't enjoy it either. <laughs> uh, I think someone's car just got repossessed. Sweet. Couldn't keep up the payments, could ya? Is it yours? Oh, no, it's mine. No, no, it's, no, no, it's not mine. <laughs> On November 20th, 2010, Matthew Lewis, David, oh, for fuck's sake, Octoloni, I know that. <clears throat> I was wrong when I said I could read the script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a bit of a stretch. I, yeah, I grossly overestimated my ability to do stuff. You'd think after 175 episodes, you'd, you'd have some clue, but no, apparently I, not. I think those 174 other ones were a bit of a fluke. Yeah, I think they might have been. <laughs> I never thought you were able to do this. In fact, I've been impressed. Oh, my God, she's pulled it off. Yeah, she pulled it off again. What, what, a, what a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> well, 175th time's the opposite of being a charm. Yeah, it's a wet fart. Uh, oh, famous anus. Matthew Millat was... <clears throat> Something happened then. <clears throat> Why, do you realise you're a cunt? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know that yet. Oh, honey, you'll get there in the end. <laughs> Will I, though? No, I probably not. I'll keep telling you, but it'll just be like water off a duck's back. Quack. Uh, you know, ducks actually don't like rain. Uh, really? Did a duck tell you that? I don't know. I was just trying to see if you believe it. Oh, dude, you know better than to try me with your baseless Barney bullshits, don't you? Yeah, well, you know. You just enjoy failing, I suppose. I do. I I see you get other people with these tricks, though. I do. It's kind of amusing, although I feel a bit bad for them. (laughs) That they're actually going down the garden path with you. When it's so clearly not true. Clearly. Clearly. What did you get Trey Trey with the other day? Head cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Makes Mm. sense.
some of his victims had also been shot and sexually assaulted. Actually, it was a lot worse stuff too. Oh, there was a lot worse stuff too. Beheadings. Mm. Target practice. Yeah. Just cruel and inhumane. The killings, which became known as the Backpacker Murderers. Murders. <laughs> Remember no, that they're... word? It's hard to say. It's I not a know, word that you say often. It's, it's not a in fr- the title of the podcast. Is that French? <laughs> La murder. <laughs> so what's the name of the podcast again? Oh, Bloody Barney. Ah, oh, Bloody I Barney. I love that show. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hilarious. Everyone loves it. Everybody loves Bloody Barney. During his time in Newcastle, Matthew had hooked up with a young woman named Kirsty, whom he had knocked up. Whom he had knocked up. Whom he had knocked up. <laughs> Shortly after the whom birth, he had impregnated. Whom he had in fact knocked seed. up. Mm, whom he had in fact knocked up by raw dogging. That's what we're doing. Mm. We're cornholing. Mm. That's not what other people call this. We're no. podcasting. Oh, we're po- so, like, some people call it podcasting, oh, Barney. Like, we oh. call it cornholing. Oh, it's podcasting. Yeah, I thought that's it was why, cornholing. No, that's why when you go around to selling everyone that Case Files your favourite cornhole, they look at you funny. Oh, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a part-time cornholer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Australian independent cornholing royalty, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing all day? I've been raw-dogging all day. My throat's so sore. <laughs> <laughs> so many cornholes, man. So many. So many. So you're saying you prefer me to call it podcasting. Look, I think it just creates less confusion. Okay. But if I can watch the people be confused by you and not have it reflect badly on me, I think you should stick to cornholing. (laughs) That's not going to happen, is it? No, it isn't because it'll be like, oh, so Tara, you and Barney do a lot of cornholing together, do you? See? Hmm. That's what it'll turn into. And then the reviews will start reflecting that. Oh, I love Barney's cornholing, but that Tara, I don't really enjoy her style of cornholing at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want people thinking I'm bad at actual cornholing because I'm a fucking genius at it. How do your spouses feel about you guys raw dogging together? <laughs> well, it's they're fine with it as long as we don't talk about it all the time. Yeah, yeah, they just don't like hearing about it. They're okay with us doing it, but they don't oh. want to be like, oh, we raw dog this, we cornhole that. They're just like, shh, shh, shh. I lost my script. Oh, there it is. It's me. It's because whom he had knocked up (laughs) sent us flying. You can change that if you want. To cornholing? To (laughs) cornholing. And the word of the day is cornholing. lying that it wasn't on and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 